0: busy, busy world. How do we decide what to give our attention, our energy to? According to this week's guest, Brent Manswer, if we clearly define what our core values are, you know, the ones that ground us and are completely non-negotiable, we can decide what to give that attention to and then to really get into feeling the realness of those values. So imposter syndrome has no place in our heart, does it fit or not? When we know what those core values are, we start making conscious choices based on those values and owning those core beliefs or truths. It sets us up and sets us free. Also, if you're a caregiver, listen at about the 40-minute mark for some of Brant's story as a caregiver and how he's learned to maintain his energy through a long, long haul. I think you're going to enjoy this interview. Let me know what you think. Welcome, Brant. I'm so glad you could be here. I really enjoyed reading the book, and, you know, I'm kind of a black sheep too, I think.
1: Well, I can't thank you enough for having me. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It would make for a really awkward interview if you didn't. So (laughs) that's fine.
0: It's good. How many interviews do you think people do where the interviewer has never read the book? Oh, a lot. Way <laughs> too many.
1: I could give you some names in the last couple of days. No,
0: thank you. <laughs> people...
1: <laughs> that, that I'm like, um, I don't know that you know what this is actually about. <laughs> Maybe okay. we should pivot for just a minute.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, being an unconscious creator of sorts mm-hmm. on occasions and mm-hmm. being a conscious creator as often as I remember to be, mm-hmm. I think that is a really great place to start this discussion. And What do you mean by unconscious creators and conscious creators?
1: I feel like most of the world are unconscious creators. And what I oh, mean yeah. by that is that when you don't know what matters most to you, and I mean specifically and can prove to me that it's real, um, then you're winging it. And when you're winging it, you're an unconscious creator. Uh, you you are hoping for things like luck or accidents um, to happen for you to influence an outcome that you don't control. And so for me, the big difference is defining your non-negotiables, these, these things that I call your black sheep values. Once you own what these are, it's the first step in becoming a conscious creator.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't necessarily mean that every single thing we do is a conscious creation, does it? Because that's just way too much pressure for a lot of people.
1: What I will tell you is that once you start to live your life this way, when you don't make decisions with deliberate intentions, it feels awkward and bad. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just the opposite of what you think it might feel now. Um, it might feel exhausting, but the truth is, uh, when you are get into the the groove, into the habit of using these values to make decisions in in what I call the decision supply chain, once you actually do that, um, you are your own accountability officer when it comes to (laughs) understanding very quickly that you are winging it. And when you're winging it, you are uh, at the mercy of the universe <laughs> to try to influence a result that you want to achieve and I want you to have the best possible chance of achieving what you want, recognizing that we don't control outcomes, which is probably the biggest single learn uh, I have had in the last few years. The most difficult pill for me to swallow
0: mm. was
1: that we don't control outcomes unless your name is Glinda or. Gandalf, you don't, you don't possess that kind of power. You crazy wizards out there might have that power, but us normal humans do not.
0: Right, right, and so really sticking to our convictions and is what helps us keep moving forward. Is that Mm -hmm. kind of the concept here? That if we don't, we're just going to go. Oh, I can't do it anyway. So,
1: well, no, it's not even about moving forward. It's about making decisions in alignment with the things that matter most to you. So you have to have your what and your why in alignment in order to have the adaptability and resilience you need in the how you're going to fulfill those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you don't, then that's when it gets a little hairy. And and it's difficult at times um, to to make decisions and to sort of have that feeling of fulfillment and control that we all love um, makes it incredibly difficult when your what and why are, are not in alignment with each other.
0: Right, right. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because there is a, a little discussion about that what and why and what comes first and why. So <laughs> let's, let's address that. What is this what and why that you speak of?
1: So many of us have read a book in the last few years, uh, an incredibly influential book that tells us to start with why. And I happen to believe that Simon Sinek is a brilliant man. Um, What I would say is that there's a massive asterisk for me in that statement, there should be an asterisk on the front of that book, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> which is start with why, asterisk, as long as you know what your why is. And if you mm-hmm. don't know what your why is, then you cannot start with it because it leads down the wrong path. And so for me, why is our purpose? And purpose has been, you know, uh, a hot button term over the last couple of years that everybody wants to talk about. I happen to believe that the biggest lie we've ever been told with regards to purpose is that we find it. There is no finding of purpose. And if you're on that journey, I hate to spoil it for you, but you've wasted however many years you've been searching for it. Like I wasted decades of my life searching for something that doesn't exist. We have to choose it. We have to choose it. So the question is how do we make, a conscious choice, right? How do we make a decision that is going to be, uh, the right decision for us with regard with regards to purpose? Well, that means we have to start with what, and the, what for me are are non-negotiables are five or six non-negotiable values. These deeply held personal core values that, that have been developed over the course of our lives Mm -hmm. outside of a catastrophic event. They rarely change, rarely change. And so for me, these are these values that I, that I call black sheep. And Mm. the reason is because I was 47 years old before somebody finally told me why black sheep are not valued like the rest of the flock. And I just, I'd had no idea. I mean, a couple hundred years worth of demonization of black sheep in our culture. And I figured there's gotta be some crazy reason. And when I found out the truth, which is the reason that farmers don't value black sheep like the rest of the flock is because a black sheep's wool cannot be dyed. And so every black sheep in effect is a hundred percent authentically original. And I heard that. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Like you just, you just described my life goal, which is to be that a (laughs) hundred percent unique, authentic creation that I was meant to be. Right. And so that led me down this path, which uh, you know, I've been someone who, who studies and writes about human behavior for the better part of eight years, eight or nine years now. And I got obsessed with, with core values and and where do they come from and how do we make these decisions? And, and what I discovered is that we all have this, these five or six, and I, I call it a flock of five. Um, The truth is we all could have one more or one less, but, but the truth also tells us that you can't really have more than that, right? Because it becomes an impossible task to try to honor all of those things on a Mm -hmm. regular basis. But when we focus on the non-negotiables, not the things that are really, really important, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the things that you cannot live without, that they become a non-starter. You know, If this can't happen, then I'm not doing that, right? That's the Mm -hmm. level that I'm talking about. And most of us don't take the time To discover the difference between those two things and so we hold on to the many things that we consider important and we never separate them from our non-negotiables
0: yeah and so those things that we think are important are Mm -hmm. often things that have been thrust upon us by society so we have to dig a little deeper to really find those core values don't we
1: well, we've spent many years caring for other people's sheep. Let's just say that, right? I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to. And we wonder, you know, I, I, there's so many sort of metaphors in this book about the idea of what does it take to really care for your flock, right? And and for mm-hmm. me, um, I'll give you the perfect example. I don't go to the movies on the weekends at night, Ever. And that's because I spend more time disciplining other people's children than I do watching the movie. <laughs> and, and that is not an enjoyable experience for me. But this is what I've also discovered is when you try to discipline someone else's children, those are the children look at you and tell you to go F yourself <laughs> because you're not my daddy. And um, guess what happens when we try to care for other people's sheep? they go you are not my daddy and uh, i'm not listening to you so good luck Mm -hmm. and we try and we try because you know why it's annoying and we and we try to control those things that are out of our control and they won't listen to us because they're not part of who we are and and we spend far far too much time caring for other people's sheep than we do worrying about our own and so that to me what the research has shown Janet in the last couple of years. So I've been doing this work specifically with individuals over the last two years. And I've had a few thousand people by now go through sort of this methodology. And this methodology is centered around a worksheet slash assessment. It's not a, it's not a big thick assessment. Like you would expect. It's more of a helping you get to some truth. And what I know is that this assessment that I use online is designed to help people separate the non-negotiables from the things that are really important. Mm -hmm. And so it presents to them uh, 125. The first thing it does, here's 125 commonly held personal core values. What I want you to do is I want you to just go through them and any word that resonates with you, just go ahead and select it. Don't think too much, just knee-jerk reaction. You look and you go accountability. Oh, I like that word. Achievement. Oh, I like that word. Empathy. Okay. Whatever it is, you just go through these words. What we know for a fact over the last two years is that the average person selects at least 30 words (laughs) out of those 125.
0: So much for five.
1: Right? And Mm. so my first question to them is tell me, what does um, crippling anxiety and depression feel like? (laughs) Because that's what you set yourself up for by telling yourself there are 30 things that are really, really important to you in your life. And so what we have to do is take that subset and we have to break it down into something that's more manageable. And so we take that 30 or, I mean, I had somebody a few weeks ago pick a hundred words out of 125 and I'm like, I don't know that I'm qualified (laughs) to have a conversation with you because I think you need some professional help, but it's one of those things that it's like, oh my gosh. So, so you take the, that subset of words and we, we separate them into five buckets Mm -hmm. And these buckets are sort of based in likeness, right? So you'll, you'll take words like achievement and success and put them in one bucket. And you'll take words like sympathy and empathy and care for others. And and you put those in another bucket and sort of when you're, when you're done, um, you have five buckets. And the question is you get to pick what's the one word that you can't live without. What's the one non-negotiable that you can't live without is a very difficult task right it's difficult enough just to group them by likeness because we might define words in different ways and so what you put in the same box i go huh what are you talking about and i have to have a conversation to figure out how your brain works to understand why you would put those words together but after just sort of having these discussions and figuring it out people come to what what is their initial flock of five black sheep values right that's Mm -hmm. the goal can we get to it What I know now is that in the two years that I've been doing this work, I've never worked with a single person that the five they initially identified was the five that we finished with five weeks later in this course. Um, I know that two or three of what you tell me is absolutely 100% truth. And you can give me 20 examples for each as to why over the course of your lives that that you have selected this, that it means this much to you. It's a non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. I also know that two or three of them are complete fabricated bullshit. Mm-hmm. They are either who you want to be, or they are who somebody else tells you you should be, mm-hmm. but they are not. They are indeed not your sheep. And we don't know that until you have to try to track them and prove that they're real. And when you find no evidence, you have to come to the conclusion that indeed these are not your sheep.
0: Right. So one of the key things that I got from the book, which, okay, most of us already know this, but we don't do it, is that you got to do the work. It's not just making the list, right? Mm -mm. It's about really digging into it and identifying what those core things are that, really actually matter to you and until you do that you can't really move on to figuring out what your why is or how you're going to get there well you
1: can't be intentional right and that and that's the people people think that you know the way that I describe this is um these black sheep values sort of function like a GPS, right? And so when if you're in your car and you are setting a destination, you put in the destination and you start down your path. And if you veer off the path of what you've chose, what does the GPS do? It
0: changes. It adjusts.
1: It starts to yell at you a little bit, right?
0: Well, hey, yeah, that she yells at me a lot. Wait a lot. minute ding, 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 ding,
1: ding. This is not the direction you told us you wanted to go. Would you like us to reroute that? Or is this, are you, what's happening right now? Right? Right. So that's what ends up happening. And so the difference of living your life intentionally and acting with deliberate intention is this difference, right? So Mm -hmm. everybody who's intentional just puts the the destination at the end of the GPS and they go, I, I, you know, I want to race. I want a promotion. I want that house. I want that car. I want a better relationship. I want a stronger marriage. I want this. I want that. That's the end of the destination. Mm -hmm. That's intentional, but that's never enough to actually get it done. Yeah. So you have to use deliberate intention to know what is every turn you're going to make to get there. And -hmm. are you doing it deliberately or are you wandering off path with nothing to pull you back? So these values sort of yell at us to go, wait a minute. You told us this is what's super important. And now you've strayed outside of the pasture. Do you want to come back or do you want to go somewhere else? Because this is not what you said you wanted. Mm-hmm. Most of us never define those things because we don't want to be held accountable because accountability sucks. And no that's just what happens. No. No. And so that to me is really what you're talking about. When it comes to doing the work, you have to prove these things are real because if they're real, they will squawk when you violate them. And if they are not real, they'll let you run all over them all day long because they're not your sheep. They don't listen to you.
0: Mm. Mm. So defining those core values, absolutely key. Totally agree. Then we may say, okay, now I know how to develop what my purpose is and where I'm going to go with this. But those things always change over time. Yes. Those core values, if you said, um, if they really truly are your core values, they stay constant, but your, what you want to do with that is kind of a moving target sometimes, isn't it?
1: But that's not purpose. That's mission, Hmm. right? There's a, there's a big difference and that's where people get confused. Mm -hmm. Um, you know the the question I always ask people is: Have you ever um, known someone who is recently retired that is busier now than before they quit their job? <laughs> you know, and and I don't know anyone that doesn't know someone who is like that. They and and it's like, gosh, why are you so busy now after you retired from actually working? Well, that's because their what and their why were never aligned right? Mm -hmm. And so now they're frantically trying to find the how to feed their sheep that they're trying a million different things to figure it out. So my, my dad was a high school English teacher for 33, 34 years. Uh, he fed his sheep, you know, one way for three decades Mm -hmm. now that he is retired and 77, 78 years old. Um, I can't take him to the grocery store without him having a 15 minute conversation with the kid bagging my groceries because he's trying to feed his sheep in the only way he knows how. And I'm like, dad, nobody wants to have a 15 minute conversation (laughs) waiting in line. I've got ice cream that is melting here. Can we move forward, please? But that's what we see. And so that's the difference, right? So our what and our why are static. So my what. My five, my flock of five are our creativity, hope, impact, empathy, family, and authenticity. Mm-hmm. I, I have an extra, right? So I know the mathletes out there are going to yell at us, but the, I understand <laughs> there are six. I'm a, I'm a musician, but we did learn how to count to six, right? Ahead, and So that, uh, that I know. So I have those six. So my purpose, my purpose is to creatively impact others by authentically providing hope. If it sounds familiar, it's because it's loaded with those black sheet values. They are in alignment with each other. Those two things will not change. So the things that matter most to me are how I choose my purpose so I can activate those values into something real. Mm-hmm. And then the how was what you're talking about. That how changes with every decision I make, with every interaction I have with somebody on a daily basis. So that mission can look very different on a daily basis, but the what and the why. Why will never change. They're going to stay static, but how I actually achieve my purpose and honor my values change all the time.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we take what paths we need to, to get to where we need to go. Right. That's the truth. Yeah. So let's That's go back truth. a minute to yeah. the what and the why, because, okay, we have our purposes. We have them set. We, we, have decided that this is what my core value is. What if we still don't feel like we have a purpose Mm -hmm. based on those values? I mean, everybody, sorry, one more thing. Everybody thinks they have to be a superhuman in order to have a why, or it's not good enough. And I hear that from people I talk with all the time who are like, all I want to do is have my family, have a little humility, be comfortable. You know they have very basic um, goals, and they feel like they're not enough, and that's not true.
1: No, no, it's not. Um, it's so it's it is a it's a difficult conversation to have with some people. It is. Uh, so what I would say is this: um, for most of us. We don't have a purpose that's in alignment with our values. It's not about deciding what your values are right so that's that's what people have to understand. It's not deciding it's proving and there's mm. a there's a big difference between deciding this is something that is a core value of mine and proving that it's real and so you know the second sort of part of this. This methodology is is something I, I like to call counting sheep, right? It's, it's not the, the kind that you lay down at night and you put yourself to sleep. It's that the, before you go to bed every night, you need to sort of dig back in your head through your day and find evidence that these things that you say matter most to you actually appeared in your life. So where how many times did it show up? What was the scenario and who was it with? That's mm-hmm. what I want to know right? I want to know, did it show up 10 times? Did it show up twice? Did it not show up at all? What that tells me is, you know, our values exist in a hierarchy. And so the ones that are super, super important to us should show up all the time, way more, way more than Mm -hmm. the ones that might not be quite as important to us on the hierarchy scale of, of our non-negotiables. Um, That's number one. Number two, I want to know what the scenario actually was. Was it at work? Was it in a discussion? Was it um, a a revelation you had reading a book? Was it watching a television show? Where did this value appear? What what was the scenario? And then I want to know who was it with because for some people, especially in this day and age of isolation and uh, people staying inside and not having the social factor that that we might be used to
0: right
1: if you are feeding all of your black sheep through one relationship and something happens to that relationship Uh, it can be really dangerous. Right. And so the idea is we want, if we can, we want to try to spread how our sheep are being fed among several different things, people, ways uh, that we, that we are going about it. Because if we don't, and we rely on this one particular thing, it's the same scenario of the retiree trying to, you know, feed that sheep in the only way they know how that's out of context and doesn't really work like it did, um, you know, for the decades that they did it that way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that to me is, is number one. So you have to prove that it is. And, And after you prove that it's real and in this process, you will find that sometimes we drill down too deep, right? We actually go past the value to a specific example of something. And, and we say that that's what we care most about, and in fact, that's just an example of something else, of a larger value. So I, I see it all the time. People will tell me, um, look, community, uh, family, faith, those are three of my black sheep values. And I say, I would say to them, "Not. that's probably not true. Hmm. The value is actually connection right? The the black sheep value is connection. And you just gave me three ways of which you experience connection very deeply through your religion, through your family, through your community, whatever that is, but it's the, it's the actual connection. That's the value. You've just given me some very specific examples. And so that's something I call leveling up. We got to level up to a larger word that encompasses more than maybe the one tiny, um, word that we selected that just is how we feed it most of the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's number one the second thing that we have to figure out is, are we sabotaging ourselves and not allowing a value to come to the surface because of X, Y, or Z. I've had this happen um, a a lot (laughs) with, with people that (laughs) I work with. Right. And so recently I was doing, I was actually doing another podcast interview and uh, the host who I've had some connection with uh, over the last few months. I sort of said, you know, there, uh, of the values that he went through and, and did the assessment. And there was a word missing, in my opinion, um, from my experience over the last few months of dealing with him multiple times. And that word was impact. And I'm like, you know, uh, every conversation I've had with you for the last two months has been guided by and uh, focused on impact. Not only is that not one of the five that you selected, it wasn't even one of the 30 that you said were important to you. What? Why is that? And what he said was, he didn't he used to be a very nice person. And he felt like a fraud if he would have selected impact because anybody that knew him three or four years ago, um would say that's bullshit he doesn't care about that and i can tell you why so he felt like he wasn't worthy of that value
0: Mm. because
1: of who he used to be
0: that's sad Um,
1: it is sad but i gotta tell you it happens all the time it happens all the time and this is this is a big aha that i would love everybody listening to this right now to understand um Imposter syndrome happens so much to so many of us And it. I would, could make a case that the more successful you are, the, the stronger that imposter syndrome can get at times. And, um, the work that I've done for years has taught me one thing. A lot of the people that I have worked with for whatever particular reason, they may have been very successful, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: they didn't necessarily like themselves all that much. And it could have been from a myriad of bad decisions that they made in their past. Right. But they just didn't like themselves. So knowing now that in that initial flock of five, which if we can get anybody to do the work, most of them stop when they think they know, (laughs) Oh, I got my five. I did. I did the assessment. I got my five. I'm good. Right. Done. Finished. What we know is that two or three of those aren't real. We know they're not real, right? And so my question that I have to those people who tell me they don't necessarily like themselves or they're not happy with themselves, what if the person that you're not happy with or that you don't like, what if they actually aren't you? The you, you, you exist
0: like? right now. Right. What, yeah. if,
1: what if what you don't like are these imposters, these other people's sheep that you've been caring for, that mm-hmm. when you go to search for evidence. There is no evidence because they're not yours. And so you feel bad. You allow shame to come in. You allow these other feelings to come into the into the into uh, your head because you're not finding evidence of the things that you say matter most to you. Mm-hmm. And so when you realize that, it's such a weight lifted off of you to, to be able to say, how do you know, and this is what you said earlier, how do you know you're not already enough? Because I'm telling you, you are enough already. And if you don't feel like you're enough, it's because a few of your black sheep are lost. You've got to go find them if you want to feel that sense of fulfillment.
0: Mm. Mm. So I really believe that imposter syndrome only happens to people who have genuine humility. That there's a lot of Let's not be political. There's a lot of people who Mm -hmm. just don't have that sense that there's anything wrong with them and they are absolutely who they are because that's what it should be and that's what it is. Even if that does not go back to those core values that we've been discussing. So to me, when I encounter someone in my programs that is dealing with serious imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. it's really yeah, they need to go back. They need to look at those sheep and go, okay, what am I missing here? And why don't I believe in myself? And that's a big challenge for people to deal with. And some of it is around the feelings that they have. And that's something that you address in the book is getting, you know, side railed by feelings or impressions that you're getting. And so, you know, where do we put that weight? You know, how how does that balance out? Because that's a tough one for people to manage.
1: So we are recording this podcast the day after the first presidential debate in uh, twenty twenty. Let's
0: not even call it a debate, but anyway,
1: <laughs> <right>. I agree. <laughs> um, what I'm going to tell you is that what we witnessed was, you know, I, I believe that. Every day we are in a battle, a, a tug of war between our our feelings and our values. Right? Mm-hmm. Those are the two things that are that are pulling at each other. What we saw last night were feelings absolutely rip that rope out of values hands of mm-hmm. any way, shape, or form. Um, and and when that happens, nobody wins. Right, and so the whole country I, had an
0: amygdala hijack last night. It,
1: it, it's that's exactly right. Yeah. And and so I look at that and I say, the 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 way that I have sort of been able to process this idea of this tug of war between values and feelings. Um you want a healthy tension at all times between those two things right? Mm -hmm. So you can't allow your feelings to be the sole source of why you do anything because our feelings are liars, right? Our feelings um, are incredibly powerful. And if we tweak them the wrong way, they can allow us to make some pretty bad decisions in the moment Mm -hmm. uh, because our feelings told us that we should do something and we don't consider the facts or we don't consider the things that are non-negotiables. So we have to sort of acknowledge how we are feeling to keep them under control. On the other side, we have our values. And so I look at that and say, we can't make decisions solely based on our values and ignore how we're feeling. Because if we ignore how we're feeling, we upset our feelings. And when our feelings get upset, they're like the Hulk, right? And so it's like Hulk mad and Hulk, you know, cause problem. And that's that's what we saw last night was Hulk smash everything on that stage, right? right? And so what we want is this idea that neither our values or our feelings win the tug of war. We want to keep them in that healthy tension. When I think of tug of war as a kid, I think of that, that, you know, they tie the ribbon right in the middle of the rope, right? And they have these two lines and you have to try to pull that ribbon over the line. And so the way that I, in my, this is how crazy I am in my head, how I manage my feelings um, from an identification standpoint is through an old Quote from Lao Tzu, and Lao Tzu says, uh, "If you are uh, if you are feeling nervous, you are uh, living in the future. If you are feeling depressed, you are living in the past. And if you are feeling peace, you're living in the present." Mm-hmm. and I literally that's my litmus test. If I'm anxiety, if I'm filled with anxiety, it's because I know I'm being pushed to the future of uncertainty where nothing is set. And I just, it makes me so concerned and I get so nervous about what could happen or how things could be. So I I know that if I feel anxiety, I'm living in the future. I know that. I know that if I'm depressed, chances are it's because I am justifying it with something that's happened in the past, right? I'm using those things, those either bad decisions or things that I've witnessed that have been bad to justify that. So if I feel depressed, I know I'm sort of living in the past. If I'm okay, then I realize, gosh, I must just be in the present because this is the only thing I can control at this moment Mm -hmm. is the present. And so I look at that as sort of this idea of the tug of war, if that ribbon stays in the middle, that middle is the present. If our uh, if we anxiety wins and it pulls us to the future, that's those feelings. Pulling us to the uncertainty that we have so so much a uh, uh, concern over, and if we get pulled and we start to feel depressed, then that ribbon has crossed that other line back towards our values, and we are ignoring how we feel at the moment. And so we have to be able to keep that healthy tension and keep that ribbon sort of in the middle, if mm-hmm. we want to stay in the present and actually affect change, because the present is the only place we can make decisions. <laughs> it's so the only place
0: we really you know,
1: are. It's the truth. It's yeah. the truth. And so that to me is a daily struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we saw, what we saw last night was this tug of war that that pulled everybody to anxiety in the future and no no answers because we didn't talk about values. We didn't talk about the present. <laughs> we just we just saw mud and feelings uh, smashing everything inside. And that is never going to allow anybody to make a good decision ever.
0: Well, I absolutely love that metaphor of the tug of war and the ribbon moving back and forth, you know, to help us really kind of find that center, that grounding point where we can say, okay, I'm here now. I'm in this place. And whether we're ruminating or we're, you know, yeah. worrying when we find ourselves just coming back to that center, being Okay. I'm really here and paying attention to that. Um hundred percent. Crucial, crucial. So something that you talk about in the book is what you call a decision supply chain and how we make decisions based on like real intention. I know it's a shock. Uh, but, you know, let's let's talk briefly about that. Um, how does that work? What is what? what the hell is a decision supply chain? Why didn't I know about it before?
1: <laughs> so, you know, this stemmed from a couple of years. I'm, I'm a coffee holic. I, uh, uh, even I would venture to say a coffee snob, right? So hmm. I love coffee. Like, like some people love bourbon or whiskey. I love coffee. And I can tell when I have a good cup of coffee or when I don't have a good cup of coffee. And, and one of the things, there are like three rules that I have to follow for me to have a good cup of coffee, right? I need to know, the origin, right? I need to know where it comes from because there are certain parts of the world that I really prefer the coffee beans, right? Mm -hmm. I know that from years of drinking it. Uh, I also need to know that it was ethically sourced, right? So I, I, the coffee industry is notorious for slave labor. And so it's like, I have to know that it was actually sourced ethically for me to be able to enjoy that cup of coffee. Uh, And then finally, I have to really respect my mood. If I am pissed off every cup of coffee is going to taste bitter to me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just, just, I know it. And so, I had a friend say to me a couple of years ago, "If that's what you have to go through to have a good cup of coffee, I'd hate to hell with, to look like what it takes for you to make a good decision." <laughs> and I was like, "Hmm." That sent me down a rabbit hole of uh, of, of researching what a good decision is, and so mm-hmm. the idea is that it actually is eerily similar to my cup of coffee. We have to make decisions that are born from these. Black sheet values, the things that matter most for us. That's where they're born from. But we have to consider all the facts that we can get our hands on, not just what I call the truth in the room. Sometimes the truth is larger than the room, and you have to go beyond the room to get to the to the actual truth that you're looking for. And then we have to actually acknowledge our feelings in the moment. We can't ignore them. It doesn't mean we resolve how we're feeling, it means that we acknowledge that we're feeling it. And when we do that, we actually uh, make a good decision regardless of the outcome, because that to me was the hardest thing for, as a control freak of, of the highest caliber, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I, I joke, I literally joke all the time, Janet, that if you invited me out for dinner, um, I would drive your car. Like that's the level <laughs> of, of control that I need to have, right? It's crazy. <laughs> it's, I have a problem, right? Yeah. And so I look at that and go... Okay. I, I had to realize that I don't control outcome, right? That's outcome. What i learned through the research is it's outcome bias, right? You can't mm-hmm. justify whether a decision was good or bad based on an outcome. We don't mm-hmm. control outcomes, but we watch it happen every day. We watch it happen. We watch companies promote people solely based on outcomes and has nothing to do with the deliberate intention that went into making a decision. Right. And so we get rewarded for actually bad decisions and it happens too often than not. And so this idea is let's remove the outcome from this idea of whether or not we made a good or bad decision. And let's put it on honoring the things that matter most, Mm -hmm. gathering all the facts that we can gather and acknowledging how we feel about it when we make the decision. And if we can do those three things, it's a good decision regardless of what the outcome actually is.
0: Wow. Yeah. So let's apply that. Well, let's talk about something that's really difficult. Um, I'm not sure that you know that a lot of my listeners are family caregivers, and that's been a big part of who I work with um, because having been through cancer um, caregiving myself, I realize mm-hmm. how difficult and challenging that is. And yeah. you know, when you told the story about Theo and his battle with cancer and how, okay, we're done with cancer, woohoo, that never happens. Not, not in reality, yeah. yeah. at least in my opinion. And I'd love for you to yeah. touch on that when, you know, yeah. things get really hard. Yeah. Then, you know, it, these things matter.
1: They do. And, and, you know, Theo sort of surviving his, you know, 263 straight day battle in the hospital with cancer. Mm. Um, we know that, that, it's rare for people to have this sort of fairy tale ending and I say fairy tale ending in that he survived but survivorship can suck uh, and that's just the truth mm-hmm. um you know it's a different kind of hell right uh, yes. when you lose somebody there's a finality there that that although it's horrendous you your brain can at least wrap around what's going to happen and depending on what you believe and what your faith is there there are things to help in that scenario mm-hmm. it's it's different when you survive, right? Because you're constantly worried about- You're always, gonna, is you're come,
0: always yeah. Is it gonna
1: come back, right? Yeah. Is this what's gonna happen next? Is he gonna be able to have kids? Is he gonna be able to live a normal life? What's a normal life? What does that even look like now? What is, you know, there's so many other things that happen in that moment that it pushes me back now to making sure that, that I focus on the only thing that I can control which is honoring these things that matter most to me because Mm -hmm. I've, I've watched it go out of control. I've watched him only survive by a a literal miracle. (laughs) Like I, I, I don't know how else to describe that. Um, It is something that I know I had zero control over. uh, And we've been very blessed to, to have the outcome that we have, Mm -hmm. but it's a different type of battle. I mean, I got a 23 year old kid now who's doing amazing, but is still very much a 14 year old at times, you know, trapped that never all really went to school.
0: kids too. Though. Right.
1: <laughs> yes. It's yes, true. He never, uh, he never went to school past the eighth grade. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and his immune system has kept him from, from experiencing some of the social stuff that, that help form your personality that help, uh, teach you, uh, you know, what's appropriate and not in certain scenarios, (laughs) um, that we're having to, and he's having to learn, um, in a very different way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, he knows, and we know now that we, we can't focus on an outcome. All we can focus on is honoring these things that matter most. And when we do, we have the best opportunity to influence the type of outcome that we want but we have zero control over whether or not that's going to happen. So let's focus on what we can control—that deliberate intention that goes into making the decision. Let's go into doing the research to make sure we have all the facts and not just some of the facts, so we can make an educated decision of what we're going to do. And then let's honor it by by looking and asking ourselves, how do we feel about this? Are, do we feel okay? Are we worried? Are we concerned? Are we pissed off? Are we, you know, what does that look like? Instead of pretending that it's something that it isn't, because when you pretend, you piss off your feelings and they want to be recognized for how the reality is. And so when we at least acknowledge that we are unsettled or we don't feel particularly great about this, but, but it is the best of what we think we can do in this moment. Um, then what we find is that that healthy tension and that tug of war stays where it needs to stay. Mm. And so that's what we try to focus on now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that really is coming back to that center point, coming back to that balance and really sticking to it and not getting into that, the worry, because it's always going to be there, but we don't have to give it any weight. We don't have to lean into that. We can really come back to, okay, where are we right now? And that allows us a lot of space in order to take better care of ourselves as caregivers and also to take care of the person that we love because this is a battle that you probably be in for the rest of your life. It's never going to change even if all the prognoses are perfect. Yep. We can't stop ourselves from going into that, but what if? And That's what exactly. if is the worst possible That's, two words to put together.
1: <laughs> and and now that now we know the only way to pull you back mm-hmm. from the anxiety-ridden future is with your values. Yeah. And so you have to use those values to pull that ribbon back to the middle for us to be able to stay in the present. And if you don't have those things defined, then guess what? It's going to be a really, it's hard enough when you know what matters most. If you don't and you start to use these things like they are the things that, that are your non-negotiables, you know, you can't fake that. You can't. And mm-hmm. so what ends up happening is your brain goes, I'm calling bullshit. There's no way that, the, and, and you're not going to win this tug of war. You're not even going to get that thing close to the middle again, because I know that these are not the things that matter most to you. Mm-hmm. So stop lying to yourself and start having an honest conversation.
0: I love that. Thank yeah. you. Thank, Thank you. you. So I would really love for people to get the book. I would also love for them to do your um, evaluation because I think that's a really important thing for us all to really, you know, dig into this and start thinking about stuff. You know, I mean, life is hard. It's not going to get easy all the time. So finding that ground, finding that center point and really understanding how all this is going to work together to really help you move forward more positively. So why don't you give us a little bit of contact info? How do we find a book? What should we be doing next? How can we find you and and learn more?
1: So the best way to to sort of start this journey is to go to findyourblacksheep.com. That is the site that has all the information about the book. It has a little uh, button you can click that says find your flock, um, which is the assessment that you can take. Uh, All of my sort of stuff is you can get to from there as well. I'm on social on pretty much every every social platform that is, <laughs> that I know of anyways, too many, and it's all just at Brant Menswar, uh, B-R-A-N-T-M-E-N-S-W-A-R, and I'm pretty active on social media, so uh, I would love to to connect and and be of service however I can.
0: Thank you so much, Brant. This has been great, and uh, I will be promoting this on the blog and all across my social, so we should have lots of fun wow. with that soon.
1: Thank you so much, Janet. I truly appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thanks. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Mindful Social. It's been so great to see the subscriptions growing and the feedback has really helped me make the show even better. So if you know somebody who needs to be on the show, email me at janet at and please send me feedback there too or post a review on the podcast platform you're listening on. Oh, and do me a favor, share this show on social media or with a friend. Thank you.